This message is brought to you from Calon Church. We pray that it encourages and inspires you. Well, good morning, everybody. Thanks all of you for making your way out through the rain this morning to come to church. And if you're joining us online, thanks for taking the time to listen in. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you spent? Are you spent? The title of my message today, we're going to dive straight into God's Word in a second, and we're going to look at this scripture that can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Get your Bibles out and have it ready. But I want to ask you, a, I want to ask you that question this morning. Are you spent? The reason I want to ask it is that, you know, here in January, uh, we are told that January is one of the longest months of the year for us psychologically. Did you know that? The... Uh, payday at the end of January can't come quickly enough for lots of people this time of year and here we are you know coming to the last couple of days of January and most people are looking forward to their payday are you because for a lot of people it's going to help them clear off some of the spending that they did over Christmas all of the stuff that maybe got dumped onto a credit card, all of the kind of expense that was kind of trying to keep up with the Joneses maybe, or trying to get our children that best toy or whatever it is. But I want to ask you a deeper question about spending, because there are three types of spending that are in our economy today. In fact, business people talk about it all the time. They talk about the three currencies of spending. The first thing that we do as consumers is we spend money, and we're used to that. But you see, it's become more than money right now in our society. People want an experience. They want a shopping experience. So some of you hit click and collect, and some of you spend your money in the most efficient way as possible because you hate shopping. How, much of you, how many of you here hate shopping? There we are, I can see some of you putting hands up. But a lot of you here, I can see from the fashionistas in the room here, and I can see from all the new dresses, even this morning, as we were praying before church, there's people saying to each other, oh, I love your dropped shoulder jacket, that really looks like... I have no idea where... I thought, I thought it was an illness, was dropped shoulder. <laughs> but some of you love spending, and for you, it's an experience. So not only are you spending your money... You spend your time going shopping. I mean, I don't get it myself. I'm just going to be honest, girls. I don't get it. Like any logical bloke walks in, needs a new suit, sees a new suit, says, that'll do, sticks it on, off he goes. I don't get it. But no, the female of the species is a bit more different. They come in, they have a look at that dress, and they say, yes, that's really nice. They say, lovely, we sorted their love, let's go for it. And they go, ah. But you see, there might be other nice dresses out there that maybe are cheaper, really. Usually nicer. And so we go through this rigmarole, do we, gents? How many of you feel my pain? Where we go to the next shop and we see this one and we say, what? is that the one? No, 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 I can't. I can't. Let's keep going. And we go all the way around 18 dresses later. We return to the first shop. And we buy the first one she saw. How many of you feel my pain? Yes. You see, we don't just spend our time. We don't just spend our money. But we also spend our emotions. 
You see, the three currencies of spending that we have around us in our everyday lives today is that it's about not just the shops, not just the price. It's about this other thing called, according to my daughters, the vibe. (laughs) See, there's no vibe in Costa or Starbucks anymore. We've got to go to these weird coffee shops that serve coffee in like vintage tin cups and lights that are hardly working, with industrial doors and concrete floors. Such is the emotional spending that is required today when people come and vibe together and enjoy their company. Do you feel it, folks? I don't. I'm happy with a good old mug, builder's tea, sitting down watching telly. That's me all done. How many of you are with me? But the question I want to ask you, in your life, how are you feeling today? Are you spent? Are you spent emotionally? Because there's off. Pastor Phil, you have no idea what I am going through right now. It is just all I can do is to hold myself together, given all of what's going, what's going on in our family at this moment in time. Or maybe yours, you're spent emotionally because it's like, Phil, you have no idea what it's like sitting GCSEs. Because you ain't got any, Pastor Phil. Yeah, I know. I know. I've got no GCSEs. But if you are under the pressure of the academic system and you want to get into that university, you can maybe today feel spent because of the pressure to get that grade. All kinds of pressure that's around us all the time, both emotionally, physically, mentally, that can lead us to a place sometimes in life where we just simply want to give up. Do you feel me? Have you been there where you just want to give up? And when we get to a place that we want to give up, it's a really tough place. It's a tough place that's usually full of pain, usually full of sorrow. And we're turning around and we're asking ourselves kind of questions. Can I really do this? I simply cannot carry on such as the sorrow that we feel in that moment. I want you to know today, more than any other day, in the middle of a rainy, wet day in West Wales, there is hope. There is life. There is light. Because sorrow can give place to joy. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to look at this verse 10. And I kind of was drawn into this phrase in reading the scriptures last year when I was on holiday. And I read this text, and it struck me that the Bible talks about two types of sorrow. A place that's a valley, a place that's a situation, a place that it's really dark. Sorrow from so many different kinds of things. Sorrow is different to grief. Sorrow is something that can happen to us because of a situation. Remember King, uh, remember the, the cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah? 
And he is there with the king. And he is the one that's to give him as a cupbearer. The job was to taste the wine and make sure it wasn't poisonous before giving it to the king. Great job, isn't it? If you survived, it was a good day at the office. How cool is that? So the cupbearer of the king, Nehemiah, and he's a Jew. And he is lamenting because the walls that are around, Israel, around Jerusalem have been destroyed. And he's, he's lamenting the fact that Jerusalem has got into such a situation. So much so that he's so down that when he comes and gives the cup to the king, the king turns to him and says, Hey, Nehemiah. Actually, he doesn't say that. He goes, looks down. Because Nehemiah is the shortest man in the, in the Bible. He's Nehemiah. So he turns to Nehemiah and he says to them, yeah, you got it now. Yeah, thank you. Give a round of applause. Someone have got the last job. So he turns to Nehemiah and he says to him, what's wrong? For this can be nothing but a sorrow or the NIV says, a sadness of the heart. Interesting, isn't it? You see, it's something that's maybe a combination of grief and sadness is this sense of loss for something. Loss of joy. Loss of peace. Loss of contentment. So tell me this. What is godly sorrow? And I was consumed by this verse. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 simply says, Godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to salvation. And leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. And I know the answer is normally in the question, and the answer is normally in the verse or the passage of Scripture. You see, the difference between godly sorrow and normal sorrow is right there for us. Godly sorrow brings repentance <coughs> that leads to salvation and hope because he is the great I am. He's always got a plan for us. There's always good to come. The best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. But it leaves no regrets. So if you want to live a no regrets life, you know those people that are saying, I'm going to do this today. Hashtag no, retracts, no regrets. Send, tweet. Bang. There they are with their Instagram feed. No regrets. This is what I'm going to do. But the reality of it is we do regret, don't we? The choices that we make. Some of you right now are regretting buying that thing for Christmas when the credit card bill lands in January. Right? Regrets. But godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So how many of you want to know more about godly sorrow today? That we can get through this, come out the other side, and have an effective perspective on how God wants us to live. Are you with me? Yes. Come on, and let's pray together as we open up the truths of God's word. Father God, Lord, I pray for each person that's under the sound of my voice today. Lord, you know he, each heart. You know each circumstance. You know each pain. You know each sorrow. I pray today by the mighty power of God, the power that flung stars into space, 
the power that spoke to the winds and the seas and said, peace be still. That same great God, that his power, the very same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that your word says dwells in us, let that power transform us today as we have an effective perspective of what godly sorrow is, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you as I go off today and maybe take you to the zoo and the farm. How many of you saw the news today in that the first rhinoceros in Wales has been born? Have you seen it? A Welsh rhino. Ah, wow. You've only got to go to the Millennium Stadium to see a Welsh shrine. Oh, I tell you, every six nations, they show up, put their head down, and charge at people. But this rhino is so cute, isn't it? Seven kilograms of flesh and meat already is this wonderful black rhino that's been born on Folly Farm. My father would turn in his grave that we now have rhinoceroses on farms. But I want to ask you a question as we talk about animals for a moment can I ask you are you an ostrich or are you a bull you see when sorrow comes and when situations come upon us in life a lot of us prefer to put our heads in the sand we seem to think that if we cast our eyes away from it if we don't think about it it's not really happening how many of you are like that I can be a little bit like that I'm thinking if I ignore it it'll go away. That pain that I've got in my leg or in my knee or whatever it is, oh, well, I'll, I'll just walk it off. It'll, it'll go. And we do all these kind of things to, you know, the dripping tap that's in the utility room. Well, maybe it'll fix itself. Drip, drip, drip. That drip's only going to get worse, don't we know it? But some of us, for whatever reasons, with different circumstances and different situations, we just look, want to put our head in the sand and behave as if nothing is happening. Now, others of you, far from being an ostrich, you're like a bull at a gate. Yes, problems are made to be solved. Situations are made to be resolved. Challenges are there to be conquered. And a lot of the time, nobody wanted you to, ch to go and live up to that challenge or fix that problem. But you went at it anyway. It took me a long time to learn sometimes that when my wife in the early years of marriage would come and would talk to me about circumstances or situations that happened during the day, that she wasn't asking for my advice at all. She was just wanting to tell me what would happen. My fixes or ideas to the management problem or my advice to things that would happen until I finally learned that all my wife wanted to do is to share. Because don't we know that a burden shared is indeed a burden halved. And for so many of us, instead of being like bulls at gates, what we need to do is just sit down and have some empathy with people. Just listen. Don't come up with solutions, you bull people that are in the room. Just listen. And just have some empathy when someone's going through sorrow. And then others of you, as we take our tour around the farm, maybe not like ostriches, Maybe not like bulls. Some of you are like elephants. You have very long memories. 
In fact, the reason an elephant has a long memory, if you are aware of them and have watched watched Richard Attenborough as he shares with us all the marvels of the African elephant and all of what they do, they have such a challenge in finding water and in finding food that they have developed a sense of memory for every small step of every piece of ground they take so they can know where to find food when food is gone. They can go elsewhere. Where the water has dried up, they can go somewhere else and find water. And we are told that if you go to the zoo and you look at the elephant, the elephant will remember you. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what science teaches us. And some of us here in this room, and some of you listening to my voice online, you're like elephants. You're remembering stuff that happened in 1964. And you're remembering stuff that she said this to you in 1952. And your current problems are not the current problems. Your current problem is your past problem. Is that you choose to remember things that are, instead of in your front windscreen, they're in your rear view mirror. And as we look at this principle of repentance in a moment, as I, I talk about this principle of being an elephant, God wants us to be more like goldfish. You might be an ostrich. You might be a bull. You might be an effluent. You might be a goldfish. And apparently, a goldfish has got a memory of three seconds. I don't know where that comes from. I tried to ask a few goldfish first. And as they were going around, I said to you, excuse me, how long is a memory? And they would come back and say, pardon me? And I'd say it again, excuse me. They kept forgetting the question that I'd asked them. Apparently... A goldfish has a memory of three seconds. Maybe God wants us to be facing up to the challenges and problems so that we know that through him, he can help us right-size situations and go forward. And that's called repentance. Let me explain. You see, repentance is where the journey of life takes us in a particular journey. And repenting means to turn around and go the other way. That's what the word means. So let me explain to you. Here's Phil Morgan. Phil Morgan pre-becoming a Christian. Pre-committing his life to go God's way. This is the way I was heading. I was going Phil's way. And Phil's way was a great way. It was full of fun. It was full of all kinds of stuff that is probably inappropriate for me to share here in the church with you today. But it was all kinds of things that were great. In fact, it was a very, and the Bible uses this word, a very broad way. Everything was up for grabs. I could do anything I want. I'm heading this way. I'm enjoying life. It's great. It's absolutely fantastic. And the Bible says, there is a way that seems right to a man. The end thereof leads to destruction. And I got to a place one day where I was spent. Where I could take it no more. In fact, if you're a woman here today, I want you to connect with this story as we turn quickly to a passage of scripture that's to be found in Luke chapter 8. And we're going to read together from verse 43 to 48. This is a woman that was spent. Let me explain. You see, this woman had heard about Jesus. 
And she thought to herself, if I can get to Jesus, I will be healed. And we're reading Luke's account of this. this was, Luke was a guy that lived with Jesus at the time. He was one of the disciples. And this is Luke that has written an account for us. And this text that we are, re- are reading here is over 2,000 years old. And we're reading it in live digital grandeur today on the screen. Luke 8 verse 43 says this, a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Now what's going on with her? She has got kind of all kinds of what we always call or what my mother used to call women's problems. I don't know why it was always whispered. It was the kind of thing that would happen, but there was something that was happening in a reproductive system that maybe menstrual cycle was all shot to pieces. There were some kind of complications going on there. I don't know because they are women's problems. But she was caught in a place that she had persistent bleeding all the time, couldn't stop it. No one could heal her. And the scripture goes on. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Wow. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter, who touched me? Oh, not me, not me. (laughs) Not me. Peter said, Master. Like the people are crowding, there's loads of people around you, and people are pressing against you. Loads of people might have touched you. That's basically what Pete is saying right there. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. The woman, seeing that she couldn't go unnoticed. Can I just pop there and pause there for a minute? God sees you. You are not unnoticed today. If you're listening online today, know that he sees you. He knows you. You are not unnoticed today. Seeing that she could not go unnoticed. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that romantic? Came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. It continues. Then he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. She was spent. In fact, if you read Mark's account of it, which is a little bit longer, he goes on today to say that she had spent all that she had trying to be made whole and was still none the better, 12 years in. And some of us are like that. Whether it's a health situation, we want to be healed. Because we are spent. So if you're a woman, I want you to connect with that story today. Know today that you are noticed. Guys, if you're here with me, turn with Luke to Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. This wonderful passage of scripture called the lost son. Follow me in the scripture. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. How many sons did he have? Well done, you're listening. The younger said to his father, Father, give me the share of my estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. 
Reminds me of someone I was talking about earlier. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. That's posh Bible terminology for he went and got a job. All right? Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Can you imagine being that low that you would eat pig food? Any of you seen pig food if you go to Folly Farm? It is not good. Rhino food is a lot, lot better. But pig food, uh uh-uh. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? Can I just draw you to something in that phrase there? where he says, coming to his senses. Do you notice how the woman that we read the story earlier thought to herself? She thought to herself, if only I will touch his cloak, his garment, I will be made whole. And some of us, what we need to do is just think a little bit more. Less ostrich, more elephant. Less goldfish, maybe in that particular situation, and trying to forget about it, but more bull and tackle the situation head on. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against, I sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Can I pause for a minute? You might feel spent today, lads. Girls, you might feel today that you're unnoticed. But the promise to you is that he sees you. And look, lads, here's the promise for you too. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I want to tell you guys, God sees you today. He knows you're spent. He knows you've got no more to give. He knows the sorrow we find ourselves in. He sees you. And he has compassion for you. So let's continue the scripture. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran out to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you and I have sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and here we go to the farm. Bring the fattened calf, Kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate. For my son who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You see, the woman with an issue of blood. Twelve years she'd been doing her own thing, trying to fix it. Going in a particular way, spending money with doctors, trying to fix it this way. But she thought to herself... If I'll touch Jesus, I'll be made whole. So what does she do? She turns around 
and goes the other way. And she heads towards Jesus. Gets to his garment, touches it, and she is made wonderfully whole. The young man, what we call the prodigal son. The prodigal son says, give me half of the estate. I want. So he goes, lives his life, riotous living, spending all his money. It's great. He's got friends. He's got everyone around him. I don't know what that would look like today. That would be, I don't know, Lamborghinis and all kinds of cars. He'd be wearing watches and, and parties, doing drugs or whatever. I have no idea what that would be like today. But he was living it up. And he was living it up until all his money was gone. All his friends had gone. And there he finds himself skint, spent, empty. And coming to his senses, he turns round and heads for home. Repentance, going back up the way he came. And comes to father and home. His father sees him a long way off. And he is restored. That's repentance. You see, when we come to faith in Christ, when we are spent, we come to the end of our tether. We come to this broad way where anything goes that has no fulfillment in our lives. It does for a season. I mean, you know, if you want to go, guys... And you don't want to honor your marriage where you stood in front of your bride and you said, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. If you want to break that bond and you want to have an affair with a girl in your office, you can go knock yourself out. You can go do it. And it'll be fun. She smells of perfume and, oh, she's a bit different to your wife, is this girl? Because, like, she's full of fun and everything else. Like that. But it only lasts for a moment. And that's the lie of sin. The lie of sin says to us that the pleasures that last for a moment, and they are suddenly not fulfilling anymore. Trust me, believe me. I've had to speak to so many people over time and over in years whose marriages are failing. And it all started because of some disciplines that they failed to put into their lives to guard their marriage. And that's the lie of the enemy that, yes, you can do this. You can defraud your expenses by just uh, 50, 60 quid. No one's going to be noticing that. You're going to extend the mileage on the car. I know from your Taberus, this is only X miles. I'll say, I went through Lampeter. And you start cooking the expenses by a little bit and then, and then suddenly the little, little bit gets a little bit more and before you know it, you lose your job because you were fiddling your expenses. It seems, the thing about sin is it seems good for a season. But the wages of sin is death. It'll kill us. I did it my way, is what I did. And it got me into a whole pile of trouble. So I decided to repent. I decided to turn around and go this way. Now, warning, going this way is a hard way. You see, I love what David Waters uh, taught us when he was with us preaching the other week. He said, you know, the road of restoration is exactly the same as the road of rebellion. The road of rebellion, when we want to go this way and we would turn, we want to turn our backs on God. Notice the prodigal son, right? He goes doing his own way, rebelling against all of what he knew in his heart was right. It's that same road he's got to go back up 
to come to Father's house. And we cannot be like goldfish or ostriches as we go back up that road. We must face up to our sin. That's what repentance is. That's what godly repentance is. He's not saying, oh, I'm sorry for that, but I carry on doing my own thing. Hebrews says, you know, what are we doing? Like, we're continuing to crucify Christ if we continue in our sin? Heaven forbid, says Paul. Repent from our evil ways. Well, what does that mean? Sorry, folks. Here is the road. You see, this road, the reason it's broad, it's twice the size, is usually you've got two options. Let me explain. I've got a choice of hate or love. What can I pick on this road? Either. Either. As I walk on this road heading towards death and destruction, oh, I'm going to love the people that love me, but I'm going to hate all my enemies. I've got all of these options. Revenge or forgiveness? It depends. I win, you lose. Is that okay? Depends. We've got all of these options. I can be who I want. You do you, baby. You deserve it. That's what this road tells us. But here walking on this road of repentance comes with greater challenges. Because we're now going the road of repentance, not the road of rebellion. And our, cha- our opportunities get narrowed by at least 50% before we start. Because here now, I've got a choice of an I hate or love. I cannot pick hate. I've got a love. I've got a here, revenge or forgiveness. Which do I pick? Forgiveness every time. But they're my enemy. I couldn't care less, says God. Love him. Oh, and it's hard. I know it's hard. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But narrow is the way that leads to life eternal and you'll find so much fulfillment in it. I promise you. Commit, guys. That girl in the office, she might smell good. She might be pretty. She might whatever. Leave her there. <laughs> she ain't nothing but a Delilah or a Jezebel. Leave her there. Yes. Commit to your marriage. It's a wonderful, great thing. Let us see your wife in a different light. Let Get help. But I tell you what, tasting of that kind of stuff is going to bring you no fulfillment at all. It'll just lead to regret, and one day you'll be spent too. Wow. Yeah, 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 I see what you're saying, Phil. No, let me give you Bible Do your Bible proof. Your Bible proof about this, about this whole thing about repentance. You've got to turn around, and you've got to own your stuff. As a king... First king of Israel, called King Saul. And you can read the story of King Saul in 1 Samuel and chapter 15, verse 17 to 1. You see, he'd been told, he'd been promised that if he goes to war, every victory would be his. Can you imagine that? Huh? Can you imagine if God told us, John, that if we go to the Millennium Stadium and face every enemy in this forthcoming six nations, every victory would be ours if we followed God's plan. What a sweet plan that would be. Grand slam, here we come. Eh? If we follow God's plan. And it's that kind of promise that was given to King Saul. He was going up against these people called the Amalekites. I mean, they sound a rough bunch just by their names, don't they? The Amalekites. And he was told that if he went and wiped them all out, killed the whole lot, calves, stock, women, kill everyone, wipe them all out, that God would bless them. Now, I don't get the theology around that, right? Mass murder and ethnic cleansing and all that. I don't. 
But all I am doing is sharing with you these verses of what happens when we don't follow God's instructions. When we don't go for the narrow way, we go for the broad way, and we think we can have it all. We can have the best of both worlds. That we can think as we walk on the journey, well, forgiveness is only going to apply to certain people. I'm only going to love some and hate others. We cannot do that as believers. Samuel the prophet comes to him and he's trying to hide all of this because how many of us try to hide our sin? The things that we do, we try to hide them. We think that God doesn't see. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? This is the prophet coming and challenging him. And saying, like, God made you king, man. Like you are. I'm the king of, yeah, nearly. Like, I mean, he's there. He is the Israel VIP. He is enjoying everything that it has to offer. And yet it's still not enough. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Look how it continues. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. But look at this. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Why? Well, he's also the king of excuses. Bit of ostrich coming up here. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Nobody names their kids Agag these days, do they? No. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. He's just blaming the lads. He knew full well it was going on. It was the soldiers, you see. And so when we get to a place called spent, the place called spent comes after the place called spending. Spending is where we still have resources left to go. But when you come to a place called spent, there's no more. It's rock bottom. And coming to his senses, said the young man, he turned round, he went that way. Saul lost the throne that day. And he turned round to him, did the prophet Samuel, and said those words that have been quoted for all of time since then. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Making an excuse that the lambs and all the cattle that they have, we, Lord, Lord, we kept those because we were going to make an altar to you. What? I don't want you to do that. I just want you to wipe them out. And sometimes we make excuses. Oh, well, you see, you don't understand my situation, Pastor Phil. What do you mean? Oh, well, that girl at the office, what you really don't understand is like, you know, I'm a man's man, and I get all these urges, and, you know, it's, it's harder for me. You don't understand. You know, Pastor Phil, you don't have my sex drive, maybe. Like, what? <laughs> do you know what you've got to do with your urges, guys? Same as me. Same as every red-blooded other guy. And just bring him to the cross and say, Lord, help me in this area because I want to live a pure life that honors you. 
Oh, fiddling my expenses. I'll tithe on the fiddled expenses, Lord. Right, really? I've heard that. I've heard someone who had like diddled fraud instead of wanting to pay it back like Nicodemus said. True repentance. I'll pay back seven times, he said. Somebody think, do you think it'll be appropriate rather than paying it all back if I double the tithe and just give 20% of what I stole? Would that be acceptable? Answer? No! Let's look at another king. The king that followed Saul. And boys, the desire to look at another woman is something that's very real even back then. And King David, who should have gone off to war with his mighty men of valor, stayed at home. And when he stayed at home, one night he finds himself up on a balcony looking down and there's this really cute chick called Bathsheba bathing. Is that why she was called Bathsheba? If she was having a shower, would she be called Showersheba? I don't know. But she was bathing there and she looked beautiful. And like this is a guy that has got like the whole palace at his disposal where concubines and everything are prepared for him. Like what? And he's wanting somebody else's wife? And what does he do? She's Uriah's wife. He takes her for himself. And he gets caught too. Because the sins that we do in secret cannot be hid from God. And so Nathan, this time not Samuel, comes to see King David. And he says, what have you been doing? What on earth have you been doing? What does David do? You see, the reason David was a man after God's own heart. Like, and if you think that guy is perfect, like, just read the scriptures. I mean, he is a rebel. In fact, that's possibly one of the reasons why I love David so much, is I connect with him. I connect with him as a person. And one day, I'm like, all praising God and everything's great. And other times, I'm thinking like, oh, God, like, I've left you down again. This is where I am. But all I love about David is he owns his stuff. Doesn't do ostrich. Second Samuel verse twelve. Sorry, Second Samuel chapter twelve verse thirteen. This is his reaction. Then David said to Nathan, "I have sinned against the Lord." Nathan replied, "The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die." I believe that if David had not repented I believe he would have lost the throne too it's just my own theology this is theology according to Phil here why do I say that? well otherwise he would surely have to go and apologise to Saul wouldn't he? because there's one standard for Saul and there's one standard for David but David owns his stuff you see David is spent and he knows it And so he turns in repentance. And the reason the repentance that comes from an experience with Christ and coming to God is we get this promise. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going 
to die. That's John 3.16 right there, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever comes to him and believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Are you spent? Are you spent? Bow with me for a minute as we close. Whether it's spending our time, whether it's spending our money, whether it's spending our emotions, whether it's spending every aspect of the things that we have in our lives, even using our gifts for our own ends instead of what God has designed them for. The gifts that you have and the talents that you have, they are not for you. They are for you to use to make a difference in the world. Those of you who have keen academic minds that you pass GCSEs like other people pass a cold or pass a car in the road. That you use that gift that God has given you to make a difference in the world. Those of you that have got big hearts, use it to care for others. Those of you who have so many gifts and abilities. Some of you are good with your hands. Some of you are great with your head. Some of you are great with finances. Some of you are great with counselling. Some of you are great in so many different ways. Instead of using those on the broad road leading to destruction, will we turn around and as God has challenged us today prophetically, saying that he's got so many gifts for us, so many things he wants to put into our lives, but so often our lives are full of so much other junk, there's not room for God gifts yet and it takes each and every one of us to be spent to turn round change direction and head for home and head for Jesus because I tell you as you head up that road if you touch him you'll be made whole he sees you and he will forgive you So as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed, and if you're listening online right now, you might be listening to this on a podcast in your car, just pull over right now. Wherever you are, just pull over. Or if you're listening to this in your bed, and you're just there, you know, kind of trying to go to sleep or whatever, just wherever you are right now, if you're in your bed, I challenge you, maybe push sideways in your bed and Get on your knees by the side of your bed. And if you're here under the sound of my voice in this auditorium here today, as you bow your knees with me, you're spent. Come home. Come home with me to Father. And if you want to make that step today, and you want healing, and you want forgiveness, then say this prayer with me. We're going to say it all together. As I say, you repeat after me. Say this prayer with me. Father God, I'm spent. I can't take it anymore. Will you come into my life? Will you turn my life around? Lord, I'm heading in a new direction today. I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. Forgive me, Lord. 
come into my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer as every head is bowed right now, if you prayed that prayer, we'd love to give you some information and some uh, literature for you to take away. If that's you and you prayed that prayer this morning, put your hand up and then back down again just as a signal to me so I can get one of the team to give you some information. If you want to come to Christ today, put your hand up and back down again so I can see you. Thank you. I see you. Anyone else? Is there anyone else? I see you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? And look, if you prayed that prayer as you're listening to me online, drop us an email, yeah? Drop us an email right now. Go to the website or find us on Facebook. Just Google Callon Church. We're the first to come up. Just send us a message. We'd love to send you some information too. Okay, look at me, everyone. There's hope. If there's stuff that you need to talk through, then see one of the team today. But there's hope in Jesus that when we are spent, we don't stay spent. You see, the promise of God is that he will give back to us the things, the years that the locusts have eaten, the things that the enemy had meant and set to destroy you are the things that he will give back to you. He will restore. And as you take this walk, you will not believe what God can do. I said you will not believe what God can do. How do I know it? Because this church here has got extra addicts, ex-adulterers, ex-liars, ex-so many of us have been touched. Me too. We've been touched by the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. The rain has gone. The sun has come. Stand with me as we praise and worship the Lord. This message was brought to you from Callon Church. If you want to know more, please check us out online at callon.church.